by General Smedley Butler, narrated by Christopher Scott Kunkel with commentary by Christopher Scott Kunkel. That's me. We're on chapter three. We talked about chapters one and two already. In the first chapter, Smedley Butler laid out the argument that war is a racket. What does he mean by that? That it's not what it seems. That these conflicts aren't really about the or for the purpose that you're being led to believe. In fact, the purpose really is to generate huge profits that are only going to a few people. Then in chapter two, he explains exactly who it is that's making those profits. Now in chapter three, we're going to talk about who pays the bills. Who provides the profits, these nice little profits, 2,100, 300, 1,500, 1,800%? 1, 1, well, we all pay them in taxation. We paid the bankers their profits when we bought Liberty Bonds at $100 and sold them back at 84 or 86 to the bankers. These bankers collected $100 plus. It was simple manipulation. The bankers controlled the security marts. It was easy for them to depress the price of these bonds. Then all of us, the people, got frightened and sold the bonds at $84.86. The bankers bought them. Then the same bankers stimulated a boom and government bonds went to par and above and the bankers collected their profits. But the soldier pays the biggest part of the bill. If you don't believe this, visit the American cemeteries on the battlefields abroad or visit any of the veterans' hospitals in the United States. On a tour of the country in the midst of which I am at the time of this writing, I have visited 18 government hospitals for veterans. In them are a total of about 50,000 destroyed men, men who were the pick of the nation 18 years ago. The very able chief surgeon at the government hospital in Milwaukee, where there are 3,800 of the living dead, told me that the mortality among veterans is three times as great as among those who stayed at home. Boys with a normal viewpoint were taken out of the fields and offices and factories and classrooms and put into the ranks. There they were remolded and they were made over. They were made to about face to regard murder as the order of the day. They were put shoulder to shoulder. and Through mass psychology, they were entirely changed. We used them for a couple of years and trained them to think nothing at all of killing or being killed. Then suddenly we discharged them and told them to make another about face. This time they had to do their own adjustment. SANS mass psychology, SANS officers, aid and advice, and SANS nationwide propaganda. We didn't need them anymore, so we scattered them about with any, without any three-minute or liberty loan speeches or parades. Many, too many of these fine young boys were eventually destroyed mentally because they could not make that final about face alone. In the government hospital in Marion, Indiana, 1,800 of these boys are in pens, 500 of them in barracks with steel bars and wires all around the outside and the buildings and on the porches. These already have been mentally destroyed. These boys don't even look like human beings. The look on their faces... Physically, they're in good shape. Mentally, they're gone. There are thousands and thousands of these cases and more and more coming in all the time. 
the tremendous excitement of the war and sudden cutting off of that excitement. The young boys couldn't stand it. That's a part of the bill. So much for the dead, they've paid their part of the war profits. So much for the mentally and physically wounded, they're paying now their share of the war profits. But the others paid too. They paid with heartbreaks when they tore themselves away from their firesides and families that donned the uniform of Uncle Sam, on which a profit had been made. They paid another part in the training camps where they were regimented and drilled others while others took their jobs and their places in the, lo- in the lives of their communities. They paid for it in the trenches where they shot and were shot, where they were hungry for days at a time, where they slept in the mud and the cold and in the rain, with the moans and shrieks of the dying for a horrible lullaby. But don't forget, the soldier paid a part of the dollars and cents bill, too, up to and including the Spanish-American War. We had a prize system, and soldiers and sailors fought for money. During the Civil War, they were paid bonuses in many instances before they went into service. The government or states paid as high as $1,200 for an enlistment. In the Spanish-American War, they gave prize money. When we captured any vessels, the soldiers all got their share, at least they were supposed to. Then it was found that we could reduce the cost of wars by taking all the prize money and keeping it, but conscripting, drafting the soldiers anyway. Then soldiers couldn't bargain for their labor. Everyone else could bargain, but the soldier couldn't. Napoleon once said, All men are enamored of decorations. They positively hunger for them. So, by developing the Napoleonic system... The metal business, the government learned it could get soldiers for less money because the boys liked to be decorated. Until the Civil War, there were no medals. Then the Congressional Medal of Honor was handed out. It made enlistments easier. After the Civil War, no new medals were issued until the Spanish-American War. In the World War, we used propaganda to make the boys accept conscription. They were made to feel ashamed if they didn't join the army. So vicious was this war propaganda that even God was brought into it. With few exceptions, our clergymen joined in the clamor to kill, 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 to kill the Germans. God is on our side. It is his will that the Germans be killed. And in Germany, the good pastors called upon the Germans to kill the Allies, to please the same God. That was part of the general propaganda built to make people war-conscious and murder-conscious. Beautiful ideals were painted for our boys who were sent out to die, This was the war to end all wars. This was the war to make the world safe for democracy. No one mentioned to them as they marched away that their going and their dying would mean huge war profits. No one told these American soldiers that they might be shot down by bullets made by their own brothers here. No one told them that the ships on which they were going to cross might be torpedoed by submarines built by the United States Patents. They were just told it was going to be a glorious adventure. Thus, having stuffed patriotism down their throats, it was decided to make them help pay for the war, too. So we gave them a large salary of $30 a month. All they had to do for this munificent sum was to leave their dear ones behind, give up their jobs, lie in swampy trenches, eat canned willy when they could get it, and kill, 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 and be killed. But wait. Half of that wage, just a little more than a riveter in a shipyard or labor in a munitions factory safe at home made in a day, was promptly taken from him to support his dependents so that they would not become a charge upon his community. 
Then we made him pay what amounted to accident insurance, something the employer pays for in an enlightened state, and that cost him $6 a month. He had less than $9 a month left. Then the most crowning insolence of all, he was virtually blackjacked into paying for his own ammunition, clothing, and food by being made to buy Liberty Bonds. Most soldiers got no money at all on paydays. We made them buy Liberty Bonds at $100, and then we bought them back when they came back from the war and couldn't work at $84 and $86. And soldiers bought about $2 billion worth of these bonds. Yes, the soldier pays the greater part of the bill. His family pays too. They paid in the same heartbreak that he does. As he suffers, they suffer. At nights, he lay in the trenches and watched shrapnel burst about him. They lay home in their beds and tossed sleeplessly. His father, his mother, his wife, his sisters, his brothers, his sons, and his daughters. When he returned home, when he returned home, minus an eye, minus a leg, or with his mind broken, they suffered too, as much and as even sometimes more than he. Yes, they too contributed their dollars to the profits of the munition makers and bankers and shipbuilders and manufacturers and speculators made. They, too, bought Liberty Bonds and contributed to the profit of the bankers after the armistice in the hocus-pocus of manipulated Liberty Bond prices. And even now, the families of the wounded men and the mentally broken and those who never were able to readjust themselves are still suffering and still paying. Tell me how this doesn't continue to go on. Tell me how this doesn't ring true today. I'll tell you a little interesting story about the paying the price. You certainly don't make much money in the military. And I know that I was a little surprised when we got done boot camp and we got our final pay. They don't pay you through boot camp. There's a payday, so to speak. Just get paid one time at the end. And it was just a few hundred dollars, I believe. It was not much money at all because in large part, the cost of our uniforms were taken out of there and all of our little personal supplies and things like that we had to buy on our own. Not everything was provided. Now, my son, who's active duty Air Force, he gets treated quite a bit differently, and I'm happy to say that he is. And maybe the Marines today are as well. But it was, it's not fun to have that money taken out for those uniforms. And the, uh, the way that uh, Smedley Butler describes it, you know, the honor that was instilled in us and the desire to be the best, just the, the money really didn't matter at that point. I hope you got something out of that. It was a little bit chilling there to hear that coming from a decorated Marine general somebody who had been in combat several times and awarded for it. I hope you'll come back for chapter number four, How to Smash This Racket. See you back there.